0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Keys Weekly Sports Wrap with Coach McDonald, the only place to get your Florida Keys prep sports news and history. You could find this podcast every Thursday at keysweekly.com. Please share and like. You could also find me on Facebook at Florida Keys and Key West High School Sports History. And big news for the podcast the podcast is also going to Terrestrial Radio. Thank you to the Keys Weekly and WKWF for putting the podcast out. We're going to have Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. at a.m. 1600 FM and FM 103.3. You could hear the Keys Weekly Sportscast on the radio also. So thanks, guys. There's a lot to break down. I know we have Christmas break coming up, and we have a great guest today, Joey Wardlow, Key West High School 1984 state champion and new inductee to the University of Tampa Athletic Hall of Fame, where he was a four-year starter there. We're going to talk to him a little bit later in the podcast, and this past week was a busy week in, in the Florida Keys for all the sports. We were going to talk about basketball a little bit here. Um, Last week on the 13th of December, I'm sorry, the 15th in a county matchup in boys and girls basketball, it was Coral Shores versus Marathon. Girls played first. The Lady Fins won the girls game 54-38. Junior Elena Eubank had 17 points in the game and Adriana Marshall added 14 and uh, Marathon was able to beat Coral Shores in girls basketball. Right after that, you have the boys basketball game. Hurricanes brought home the win in that game. Coral Shores bested Marathon 64-28. Matt St. Aublin had 20 points in the game, including three three three-pointers for Coral Shores. Isaac Holmes scored 17 points and added six steals. He really disrupted the Dolphins offense. Eddie um, Espinosa had eight assists, five rebounds and three steals for the night for marathon. Xavier Grant was good for 13 points in the loss. And um, a couple thoughts on that game. Um, I was up at that game in marathon. I thought both the games went really well. What really impressed me was obviously the play of the marathon lady fins So far, they have beat Key West and they have beat Coral Shores, so I know they're going to play each again at Key West and at Coral Shores, so there's going to be some great matchups. What impressed me was the Coral Shores boys basketball team, Coach Mandozi, who we had on the podcast last week. You really see the hard work paying off for him as far as his team goes. It's a very senior-laden team. They play very, very well, and I'm telling you guys right now, the Coral Shores-Key West basketball games this year are going to be some great ones. I think that those teams really match up well, and I remember last year Coral Shores going down to Key West and having it close late, and Key West was able to pull through, and I know Coral Shores has those two dates circled. Now, as of right now, the Hurricanes are playing a series of -of out-of-state teams over the holiday break in Orlando. Then January 5th, they're playing Oxbridge Academy. Now, Marathon, the Dolphins do not tip off again until January 4th. And as far as the Key West Conks go, they are playing Gig Harbor, a team out of Washington State, on December 29th in Key West. And then they're going to ring in the new year, January 7th, at home against Boca Raton. Also, last week we had um, Marathon got a win on the 13th against Archimedean. The freshman Deshaun Holmes for Marathon was able to have 10 points and 14 rebounds. He had uh, back-to-back double-double games between the Key West and the Archimedean game. Um, And it's been a pretty good year so far for basketball, so there's a lot to look forward to there. Um, Girls' weightlifting is also going on right now. Coral Shores traveled to Marathon on December 14th. They were taking the very last final weightlifting meet of 2022. Mikkel Ross from Marathon was the overall top lifter in both Olympic and traditional scoring. Her total lifts of 250 pounds got that for her. She also won the top spot in the 129-pound weight class. Teammate Justice Lee Isom was second among all lifters using the equation, which takes into account weight class and top lifts. She was able to total 295 pounds in her lifts, placing first in the 183-pound class. Coral Shores' Rachel Rush won the 110-pound class with 190 total pounds lifted, earning third place among all lifters. Marathon won the meet, scoring 100 points to Coral Shores 53 in traditional scoring, which totals a lifter's bench press weight along with a clean and jerk lift. The Canes narrowed the gap in Olympic scoring, but but still fell short to the Finns 91-58. Olympic scoring totals the lifter's best clean and jerk attempt with their best snatch lift. Both teams will measure their gains from the holiday break when they meet again on January 4th at Coral Shores. So... Girls weightlifting is a great new sport we've had for the last five, six years in marathon. And I know Key West and Coral Shores is doing it too. And it's been a great activity for everybody involved. Let's see. Today for me is Sunday when I'm reporting recording this uh, podcast. Last Friday night, Tracy McDonald and myself drove down to Key West to check out this humongous unbelievably well-ran wrestling tournament in Key West High School. Uh, Coach Jimenez has had this tournament in Key West High School. They welcomed teams all over the state. I saw teams from Dade Broward. I saw Hudson, Florida, all over the state. Everybody was at the Key West High School gym. They had three mats going. I mean, it was a really, really interesting thing to check out. I recommend you guys go in to see it next year because I'm sure they're having it again. Um, It is called the Key West Invitational Wrestling Tournament. It was held on December 16th and 17th. The top place winners for the Conks were Jason Flynn, who took second place at the 138-pound class. Flynn won four of his matches via pin. Earning third place medals were Alfredo Corrales at 145, Elijah Miranda at 170. Four wrestlers took fourth place, including Dasmukh Muhammad Bakhtigov at 138, Jaden Fox at 182, Weston Andrews at 195, and Ralph Ritchie at 285. Abram Kane at 132 earned fifth place honors. The Lady Conks fared well at the event as well. In Group 1, Shayla Figuera came in at 3rd, and Lola Jamie was in 4th. In Group 2, Fernandina Cruz took 3rd place, and in Group 3, Natalie Aruelo took 2nd place. Three of Aruelo's wins came by pinning her opponent. Coral shortstop finishers were Jaden Angel at 145 and Sebastian McCoy at 113, who both finished in 8th place. The Canes and the Conks will both compete again on January 6th and the 7th at the Somerset Scuffle in Pembroke Pines. Ooh, that's a lot of sports going on. And we got something else going on, too. A big deal going on December 21st. There's going to be a live stream when someone who was on this podcast, uh, Andre Christopher Otto, is going to decide what college he's going to go to. He didn't wrestle last uh, Friday night at the tournament we were talking about because he was on his official visit to Florida State. He's also visited a number of other schools, including Vanderbilt, and he's gone all the way out to California to go to Stanford. I know that he has offers to Harvard and Yale and about 25, 30 different schools, and on the 21st, he's going to make his big decision. I was also talking to Coach Holly at the Coral Shores Marathon basketball games, and he was giving me updates on his players there, um, the running back there. Um, he has a number of offers from some NAIA and some um, Division three teams. And um, the defensive tackle, Xavier Arrington, our defensive lineman of the year at the Keys Weekly. He has a number of different options that he's looking at, too. And uh, Coach Holly's son, Johnny Holly, also is looking at a, a lot of different options for college than I know at Marathon. Uh, we have Malachi Hawkins who's looking at a couple different options for college. So I think in the next couple weeks, we're gonna be reporting on where everyone is signing at. So on to the podcast next, we have big, big, big news for Key West and also the class of 1984, the state champions in baseball, that Key West conch baseball team, uh under the direction of Pedro Fraga, had another accolade in 2023. Joey Wardlow, the starting second baseman, the leadoff hitter on the 84 team, also a great power hitter, was selected to the University of Tampa Athletic Hall of Fame. In 1988, he's second-team All-American. He's a two-time first-team All-South Region, 87-88, a member of the 1986 NCAA South Regional All-Tournament team, first-team All-Sunshine State Conference selection in 1987 and 1988, Joey Wardlow hit 343 or 343 in four seasons including a 406 clip in 53 games as a junior. Among the all-time leaders of the University of Tampa, he ranks 5th in triples with 13, 6th in doubles with 54, 7th in RBIs in 171, 7th in sacrifice flies with 11, 8th in walks at 108, 8th in sacrifice hits in 13, and 9th in hits 263. Joey Wardlow was a standout second baseman at University of Tampa, and he's being honored by them by being inducted into their Hall of Fame. He is currently the head coach at St. Thomas Aquinas in baseball, where he won a state championship in 2018. He was an assistant coach with Coach Enriquez for the Key West Conk Powerhouse Baseball back-to-back state champions in 1994 and 1995, and he was also a member of the 1984 Key West High School Conk baseball team, which won Coach Fraga his state title. So he's going to come on the podcast next to talk about his beginnings and how he developed himself into a baseball player by watching the tomato league in Key West when he was a kid and by countless hours of practice with his father, former Key West High School mayor, Dennis Wardlow. And I want you guys to just sit back and enjoy this. I think I'm going to break it up into two parts. So we're going to do part one today, which is going to cover coach Wardlow growing up in Key West and coming up through Key West High School. And um, I hope you guys enjoy it. So here it is. Here he is, everybody. Keys Weekly Sports Wrap podcast. We have on the newly inducted member of the University of Tampa Hall of Fame for baseball and for all the other sports. And he is the coach at St. Thomas Aquinas. And that is Coach Joey Wardlow. Welcome, coach.
1: Uh, thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's re- I'm really grateful for you to come on today. There's so much for us to talk about. I've been looking forward to this for a really long time. And, you know, the reason why you're on today, yes, is you have been inducted into your university's Athletic Hall of Fame for baseball. Um, when did you find out about that? And what was your reaction to that?
1: Well, actually, it was a very interesting story. I happened to be over at Nile Chevrolet, and my father, Dennis Wardlow, was doing a radio show. And I got a phone call from the head coach at University of Tampa, Joe Urso. And he just kind of, it actually caught me by surprise. I wasn't thinking about it. He hit me up, and he said, hey, he said, I wanted to be the first to call you. I wanted to congratulate you that you're you are uh, you're in the Hall of Fame at University of Tampa. And I remember being like standing there um, at now Chevrolet and looking out over the water and thinking, man, this is this was like the best situation because I got the phone call when I was in Key West. And, you know, the view because I live about a block from from there and I grew up there and it was like I'm standing here. My dad's 10 feet away and I'm looking out at the water in Key West and it was the perfect situation.
0: That is so appropriate to what we're talking about today because you're, you're at Niles Chevrolet. You're within walking distance to the baseball fields. Not, not only the, I mean,
1: baseball fields have always been special to me. I mean, when you grow up in Key West and especially when I grew up in Key West, you grow up at the fields, Uh, even the fields that some people new to Key West don't realize were there. Um, You know, Wickers Field was basically our playground. And on the weekends, all my friends and I would be out there. And whether we were practicing or or playing games or watching the Tomato League on Sunday mornings, uh, it it was the best thing ever just growing up around baseball down there.
0: So, so much baseball going on. Can you sort of explain to uh, sort of our newer listeners what the Tomato League was?
1: Well, for the most part. Um, It was a group of guys that were actually very good players. Um, They varied in ages and, you know, guys from the island, some of the guys that had come over uh, from Cuba and were baseball guys. And I think the main thing about it was it was always fun to watch. It was always fun to play. But the, the biggest thing about it was, and it kind of says a lot about just being in Key West, is those guys are out there. They could have been doing anything on those mornings, but they loved baseball. And just to get out there and see them play, uh, you know, and like I said, of all ages. And just just everybody there just loved playing baseball. And that that was the thing that stood out to me. It did didn't matter what the score was at the end. Everybody was doing their, you know, they were out there to win. But when it was over, it was a handshake and see you next week.
0: So you grow up watching those games. What are your earliest memories playing at the Little Conk Baseball, that whole Key West Little League Baseball, whatever it was called back then? Did you start with T-Ball? Did they have that back then?
1: Uh, we we did not have T-Ball. Uh, we started over there on Kennedy Drive at the old Peter Dopp Fields. Um, but, I mean, I started as a bat boy over there when I was – two years old, (laughs) that, bad boy for the moose. And, um, just, just kind of being there watching, watching some of the names. And it was, it was, it was different, I think for me, but actually the same being able to see the players, the players that were ahead of me. And I mean, when I was in Key West, just kind of being around the field and trying to be a field rat. And we didn't start playing until we were eight years old. So eight and nine, we played in uh, Midget League before we even got to what was called Little League. Um, and then we, we you kind of knew you were going to move down the way. But just being out there watching some of the players that played ahead of me with, you know, Speedy Neal and Gully Porter. Um, some of my favorite guys that even when I was younger and my dad would take me out to the high school games, I used to sit there and dream about someday playing like these guys I was out there watching play.
0: So you have all of these years leading up to being eight where you're around baseball, but you're not allowed to play organized baseball. So you wanted so much to have your turn. And by the time it was your turn as an eight-year-old, you probably understood the game uh, maybe a little bit more than some of your players at St. Thomas do today.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what happens now? It's, it, kids start young now and I know mm-hmm. they start in T-ball and they got all the other stuff going on, but I mean, when when you're coming up and and playing Key West, we we had to we had to put our own games together, and that was one of the biggest differences. Now, you know, everything's organized now, and it's good because the kids are playing. Anytime kids are getting out playing mm-hmm. baseball, that's a good thing. But we, what we had to do was we had to find ways to get our own games going. I mean, if we could find an empty tennis court, <laughs> we had a, a stick and a tennis ball, and we were playing. If we could get to Wickersfield, we were out there playing. And we did we did that until I was in high school.
0: Now, you bring up a name that I wanted to talk to you about, and I know that for our listeners, you graduated from Key West High School in 1984, correct? Correct. Yes, sir. All right. So that puts you right there. Sort of, I would imagine, in middle school during Speedy Neal's senior year, he graduated class of 80. Um, What are your memories of him? Not football wise, but I did read in a couple spots that he was a great baseball player and he would hit towering home runs when you were when you were young. You said you watched him. Now, looking back through the eyes of a coach, how do you feel about him as a baseball player?
1: Oh man, he he was he he was an unbelievable baseball player. I remember being out there sometimes just waiting for him to come up to bat, just to watch balls that he would hit out then into the old mall parking lot behind the fields was was just awesome. And then even then, you know, I was younger, but if I look back now as a coach and able to see somebody who was that athletic and that size and that accomplished in all the things he did, I mean, he was just well-rounded just an athlete and then he did towering home runs were were something to see when he hit him it was pretty impressive
0: so growing up did you what element where did you live in Key West if you don't mind me asking what elementary school did you go to
1: I went to Poinciana Elementary mm-hmm. uh, I went to then I went to Glen Archer and then actually over to HOB and then to the high school. Um, we live near. We live. I can see the lights of the baseball stadium from my house when they're on.
0: <laughs> okay. Yep. Um, growing up, elementary school, middle school, were there any teachers that particularly stood out that really made an impact on your life?
1: Yes, absolutely. Especially, kind of, kind of later on when I tried to think about what I was going to do when I was finished playing. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, of teachers, um, but when I was at Key West High School, I had a teacher, Jeannie Sanford, mm-hmm. studies, and um, right now, I teach, I've been teaching social studies. I teach PE also, but I also teach world history honors up here, and it was kind of because of her. Um, I just fell in love with her class. It was amazing just, you know, learning about things, being in Key West, you know, not that we're isolated as much now, but we were isolated then and it was amazing growing up. But I learned so much from her and the way she taught and the way things worked in class that I just kinda wanted to wanted to kind of be able to be a teacher like her.
0: Yeah, I knew her as uh when she was in charge of social studies and history for the district and she's retired now, but yes, a great teacher, a great person. Um, <laughs> Coming up, was it just baseball, or did you ever play any other sports when you were growing up in Key West?
1: Oh, no. All through the, the, the Little League time. I played Little League football. Um, I played baseball. <laughs> I fished every chance I got then, and I fish every chance I get now. Um, but, you know, being able to go out there and play football is just, it's the competitiveness in on the island. It taught you how to do different things. I mean, I, I, I kind of now things have changed a little bit, but it, it kind of we should kind of be working at promoting kids to play multiple sports whenever chance we can, because they're using different body parts, different muscles. They're learning different things. They're figuring out how to do things and be competitive in different ways. Uh, it's it's extremely beneficial. It helped me playing football.
0: Now, did you play football at the high school also?
1: I did not play okay. football in high school. Um, <laughs> th- things changed a little bit in high school because everybody got a lot bigger than I did. <laughs> and it, it was, it's not a sport, you know, that you're restricted to size. Um, but, you know, my interest turned more towards baseball. And I kind of felt like there were some things I could do in baseball that I wouldn't be able to do as far as, you know, just having as much success in football. Um, but baseball was still baseball became kind of not a full-time thing, playing in competition, but you know, getting out a couple of days a week and hitting in the cage and getting together and play games. Um, you know, if there was a pickup game around, which is very common when when I was growing up of basketball, we'd go out and a bunch of guys would play basketball. Mm-hmm. But, but again, it teaches you how to be competitive in different situations, different environments.
0: Um, So when you're coming up and and you're in middle school and you're going to all the high school games for years, you know going into this that you're going to be playing at Key West High School. What were your impressions as a youth of Coach Fraga and, and what did you think about him? Were you excited? Obviously, you're excited to get to high school, but what was your take on Coach Fraga before really being coached by him?
1: Well, I got luckily to see all those guys kind of ahead of me uh that he was coaching um you know and I could tell just it's it's strange to say but in my mind I have memories of being out there and watching the games and feeling like I was almost almost part of the game and I knew that he was running and managing everything and when I got there I mean just he was extremely supportive which is one of the biggest blessings in a coach is that a coach is going to support you point you in the right direction you know, make sure that you're prepared. And we prepared the best we could throughout those years, which kind of got us to the state championship. I mean, we were good, but we were also prepared.
0: So a lot of that preparation took place when you're a kid, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. When you're playing over there at Kennedy Drive, um, how how involved were you? Was that, a, was that a just a January to May thing, or did you guys play all summer? Um, how many – how many of the guys that were on the state championship, state championship team was a product of that little league system?
1: All of them. I figured. <laughs> we, we, we played our kind of regular seasons over there and kind of that 10, 11, 12-year-old league uh, being able to play for Clayton Sterling and kind of getting taught and coached up by Randy Sterling um, when we played there. It, we weren't always on the same team. Uh, you know, but we played our season. They picked an all-star team and we would either travel somewhere and play all-star tournaments or we actually had them in Key West one time, which which we dominated. <laughs> and the thing was being together with all those players throughout those years and playing against them, because some of the best things that could have happened for anybody in Key West growing up down there is some of the best competition you're going to play is on the island. Mm-hmm. And they're all split up on those different teams and you play against them your whole life. And then when you get to high school, you get to be on the same team with them. And not only do you know each other, you know that everyone's going to be competitive.
0: And, and sort of the beauty of that, um, my oldest son played in that league you know, all the way up until through middle school. And I coached in that league for a long time. And would you agree, like you have your regular season, everybody's going against each other. And then when, you know what they call it now, like travel team or whatever you have in the summertime within that age group, Everybody assumes their positions then because all your good players are going to be a shortstop on their house league team. But come summertime, we all know who the shortstop's going to be, who the second base is going to be, who the outfielders are going to be. And that sort of sets the blueprint for your high school career, right?
1: It, it's, I think it fell into that a little bit. Uh, but being able to on those all-star teams, you know, even when we had to have guys that, that moved around because my freshman year at Key West High School I played in the outfield. Right. My sophomore year I I played some outfield. Um and that 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 made me better all around player anyway.
0: You yeah. Know,
1: and and as we as we grew up and like you say guys fell into their positions and where they felt comfortable, uh we could all do that, but I'm going to I'm going to go back to when we had pickup games and we got together and we found, you know, days that we would head out there and play in what we called prep league in high school, which was like a little summer league, we would get split up into four teams. And some days I played shortstop. Some days I pitched. Some days I played in the outfield. But it teaches you to learn more about the entire game of baseball. You know, if you don't get pigeonholed into one position your entire life and not know anything else. That, that was nothing but good for us.
0: Now, I I hate to go to modern day, but as a coach, I'm just curious, do you find that to be the case today where there's certain players that have been working on being a pitcher their whole life or certain players working on being a shortstop and and they have the inability to change positions or or are kids sort of resilient like you guys were?
1: I think it depends on the athleticism of the kids. Uh, In some situations now, and as kids are pursuing baseball full time, you know, that's great. Uh, But there's going to be a time eventually uh, when they're going to choose or when the game's going to choose it for, you know, Um, and especially when you're when you're talking about now and playing year round. uh, It might be. It might be tougher in some situations because throwing a baseball is kind of tough on your arm. And that repetitive motion without rest uh, can sometimes can sometimes cause some arm troubles for guys. The good news is it's kind of been, I guess, counteracted by the type of training people do now. Because mm-hmm. a lot of guys that see their future in pitching, they're training a different way. And as long as they're training properly and they're you know they're throwing properly and not getting overuse, they're going to be fine. But, you know, anybody that plays in the middle infield is going to be able to jump around a shorter second most of the time. When you get to high school, you know, some guys get bigger and they move to the corners. Some guys that had some speed and, you know, better arms might go to the outfield. You know, it, it falls in baseball. I don't think you really have to say you choose your position. Baseball is going to choose where you end up. Right.
0: Right. That's that's a great point. Um let us let me change the subject completely to something that I wanted to get your perspective on. Um, you know, obviously, a lot of our listeners might know, might not know that your father is former Mayor Dennis Wardlow. And he's sort of a famous mayor because he is the mayor that sort of started the Conk Republic, where they seceded from the union and then immediately <laughs> asked for like a trillion dollars of foreign aid. And you see Conk Republic and that, that all comes... You know, when your dad was mayor, that's uh, 1982. So you're sort of in high school. What are your memories of that thing? Because it, it got a lot of press and it sort of sticks around today. And, and your dad's a pretty big deal.
1: Uh, he's an amazing, dude. he's a famous mayor, but he's a famous dad. <laughs> Most importantly, <laughs> to me, and now famous grandpa uh, and great grandpa. But um, it was actually my grandfather, Charlie Wardlow, actually got the first kind of wind of it he was a ham radio operator uh, and he informed my dad and my dad and his uh his group at the time and the powers that be kind of got together and you know they were cutting us off up there and yeah in Homestead in Florida City, so for and our, I'm sorry, we weren't coach, t- we weren't putting up with it.
0: for our listeners out there, th- I love the story that your, gr- that your grandfather is a ham radio guy. So he's listening to these radio transmissions and you're telling me he heard about the fact that they were going to stop everybody over there by last chance saloon. And they were going to search every car because of, uh, the smuggling drugs and, and maybe even human trafficking or whatever. So your grandfather heard about that on the ham radio.
1: Absolutely. He tracked it down. He used to get into that. Uh, he had a radio room in in the house mm-hmm. and he would get in there and he could, he could get in there any information that needed. Um, but he found out what was going on, like I said, and he got his ham radio buddies together to get him all the information, kind of gathered it up and passed it on to my dad. And my dad ran with it with some other guys and Concord Public was born.
0: And what a great way, like, to bring awareness to what's going on in sort of a joking way, man. That's something that I think would still work today. But the fact that, like, I feel like now that your grandfather, he might be like the hub of the Coconut Telegraph. He he's finding out everything and passing it all on, huh?
1: He absolutely did. He he he's passed away. Yeah. Um, but he was definitely he was definitely famous for getting that information off the wire. He was in that ham radio room every day uh, he taught us all my cousins were in there learning about it my uncles knew everything about it um you know he kind of started this on that education and information highway <laughs> I
0: was um, I was gonna say your grandfather was on the internet before there was an internet because before there was, was an internet it was ham radio
1: absolutely mm-hmm. absolutely uh, wa4cgq <laughs> were his call letters and uh they're they're ingrained in all of our memories
0: right because yeah that that's awesome but like as far as as you're concerned like what are your memories about that whole media blitz and everything like that I'm sure your, your dad was really busy during that whole time and were you at the any of the events or anything like that or were you just a rebellious teen that was too cool for all that stuff
1: no, no, no. We we got to get into it. I mean, a lot of those meetings took place at my house. Um, usually after my dad and I, I mean, I just, Tomato League 2 or Wickers, Wickers Field, and I, I I know you probably didn't see Wickers Field when you got there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wickers Field was the place, and I'm talking, my dad would go out there and throw batting practice to me for hours. My mother and sister would be in the outfield <laughs> shagging balls. <laughs> My dad and I would be in the backyard my whole life, practicing, playing catch, in the batting cages. And um, I never really, I knew he was involved with the stuff. Um, but, he, you know, he kind of gave us the time first. And then when all that happened, uh, actually the biggest, uh, the biggest flack I guess we got is when we were traveling on the road we would have other teams start singing the, uh, the national anthem at us like we were a foreign country.
0: <laughs> like you guys were traitors.
1: Yeah, it was kind of funny. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I prefer pirates to traitors. Oh, definitely, we definitely weren't traitors. They turned their back on us, so we just stood up to them.
0: Right. And, and obviously, it has really, really worked for Key West. And I think it did a great job of spreading awareness as to what was going on, because it was wrong what was going on in the first place. But that's a whole different discussion. Um, let, let's go back to baseball. Now, you said something a little bit telling to me talking about playing outfield as a freshman and a little bit as a sophomore. So you're telling me there is no JV baseball for you. You went straight to varsity.
1: I played a little bit of JV baseball at the beginning, mm-hmm. and um, some there was some injuries on the varsity team, and I went up there my freshman year, uh, started to play, and then my sophomore year, um, I was just up there full-time.
0: So, talk. everybody wants to talk about, obviously, 1984, but what happened before that? How were your teams, your freshman, your sophomore, and junior years? Did you make deep runs? What happened?
1: Oh, we made some deep runs. Uh, we, for the most part, 82 and 83, we ran into arms from different places that, you know, we, we always had good hitting teams. Um, we had good arms. that just sometimes you run into another guy uh, that comes in and just kind of can shut you down. And once you get into the postseason, and back then, it was one and done. You lose one game in the postseason and mm-hmm. the season's over. Mm-hmm. Um, So, I mean, we made deep runs, which prepared me, prepared the other guys. Um, For an 84, I mean, when we started getting on runs and tears, we just didn't have any. We had no holes in our lineup. We had no holes on defense. Um, We were just a full team where everybody knew their job. Everybody kind of knew their role. And then if anything slacked in any category, somebody picked it up. And that's what makes winning teams. We, we, I wouldn't even say we had a whole team. But like now, you know, there's a lot of high school teams now where you got a whole bunch of guys on there that are going to get drafted and they're not successful. We were guys that just worked. And we worked when we were at practice. We worked when we weren't at practice and we played together. Sometimes we were just maybe not always the best players on every field, but we were the best team.
0: And, and obviously that's going to win nine times out of 10, but, um, looking back on it, you know, what are your, what are your biggest memories like during the seasons, um, playing baseball there at Key West high school throughout like your, your freshman, your sophomore and your junior year, what really sticks out about those years?
1: Well, the thing that sticks out to me is the thing that, that kind of makes Key West successful All the time in baseball. And even now, I mean, I I run into a lot of baseball people in a lot of baseball places. And eventually it turns around to how is it that Key West always ends up with such good players and such good teams. And what I learned, even from my freshman year, is on the field, the togetherness is different than other places uh, because we know each other our whole lives. You know, there's there's there are schools now, public schools, private schools, parochial schools in high school where everyone doesn't grow up in the same neighborhood. They don't go to the same middle school. You know, they don't spend their time together. So even when I was a freshman, I was learning from those older guys how to be a high school baseball player and then whatever talent I had, make it work. Um, But again, I knew them.
0: Right. You would either. In
1: 1984, the biggest thing about 1984 is we knew each other inside and out. We knew where everyone was going to be on the field at any time. And if one guy was having a bad day, somebody else turned it up and had a better day.
0: So then winning the state championship. You know you have all those guys that you grew up with all you guys you played in the house league together with and then travel team and then by the time you know it's a weird thing because you when you when i think in terms of like key west baseball and stuff you think in groups and if it's if it's y'all's senior year then that's really the measure about how good your group is as far as how far you guys go and you guys go all the way but Winning the state championship, what players, what teammates really, really stand out to you when you think back to that team as as someone, man, that guy really helped. And he was an important piece of the puzzle.
1: Well, throughout the year, the good news was, like I said, we had, we really had no holes. I mean, we, we knew we were steady at different positions. You know, Louis Blanco was going to be solid catching. Joey Gandolfo was going to be at third. Joey Jungle Rat Diaz at short. Um, You know, I played second. We had in the outfield, you know, our outfield kind of rotated at times because those guys were our pitchers. And in a high school season, if you have one very good pitcher, you can do well. I mean, we had three guys that could have started any game. And David Flada, Freddie Varela, Sean Niles. And then when we got to the state championship, I mean, Mark Lastris was our first baseman. And just just turned it on and had four hits in the game, you know. Uh, And then our big left-hander, David, our big right-hander, Freddie, got got us into where we needed to be in the state championship games. And then Sean Niles ended up pitching in both the state championship games. So, you know, we just – we relied on those guys. But the way it worked for us was if you took Freddie Varela out from pitching – He's going to go somewhere else because he's going to help you at the plate. You take David Flade out from pitching, he's going to play somewhere else because he's going to help you at the plate. So they weren't restricted as POs kind of have now with Mm -hmm. pitcher-only kind of guys. And Sean Niles, when he wasn't pitching, he was also in the field, and he was another left-handed hitter for us. So, I mean, we just did multiple things, but we all had confidence that we could do those things.
0: So really the focus for Coach Fraga at the time was who are our nine best baseball players and let's have them on the field at all times.
1: Well, it was that, but we also had guys that weren't in that nine that if you put them in the game, you know that they're going to produce as well. Mm -hmm. Because we, it was, we had between ourselves, which I kind of as a high school coach, for, for years now, what I've been trying to instill in players is that competition needs to be competition all the time. We competed with each other at practice. We challenged each other every single day. And we were the stiffest competition that we faced within ourselves. So to us, when we were facing teams from outside, we felt confident that we were going to be okay because we, we were tougher on each other than other teams could be on us.
0: Right. I I can't imagine someone being on the, you know, someone who's not playing a lot, being part of that system in Key West, having the crowds that you guys have. Those guys must have been dying to get on the field. And every day at practice, they're probably coming after you. And then in the long run, that's what makes you guys a great team.
1: It it did 100%. But like I'm saying, those guys that didn't start every game for us throughout the season were invaluable to us, they were amazing. And they, like I said, they picked up the slack. Somebody's a little bit sore. Somebody's hurt. Somebody gets hurt in the game. Those guys stepped right in. I mean, we we literally had a bunch of guys that everyone was good enough to play all the time
0: and that that is so invaluable coach because you know talking about you guys getting the experience of going on long deep runs early in your career you and i both know that every team you play is going to have a couple good players you're going to have a couple really good players but it comes down to the bench and it comes down to the other guys making plays especially in a deep run everybody has to contribute so if you're deep that's really the key. And if you could trust guys to come in and make plays and they do it consistently, you guys are going to be a tough team to beat.
1: Absolutely. And we knew that. Mm -hmm. And and we knew it to tell you the truth, because we knew each other since we were eight (laughs) and we played against each other since we were eight, nine years old.
0: Right. And And it goes back to probably those summers. Some of those guys that weren't playing a lot were on travel team and they had to come in and contribute at, at certain times. So you guys go on, you win the you win the state championship. Let me ask you this. For for Coach Fraga, great coach, great guy, that had to be a big deal for him. You know, being a baseball coach at Key West High School, you know, is a lot of times state championships are are the gauge for for how you are sort of, you know, ranked. And he must have been ecstatic. How happy was he, obviously, winning the state championship and, and what do you think it meant to him?
1: Uh, Well, Coach Coach Fraga was excited, but we were, we were, I mean, we were more excited for him because, I mean, he, he was just so, so happy, you know, and just, just back then it it was different. You know, we, we, he took care of us. um, You know, when we were in high school, we probably didn't realize how much, you know, but he he drove the bus that we went on to play when we played out of town and then he coached the whole game and he drove the bus back home, (laughs) you know, and He took care of us, and we we were happy to win for him
0: a hundred percent and then like you think about that Uh, I taught with Martha Marshall who taught uh, she taught English at at Key West High School you know back in those days in the 70s and 80s and she was a volleyball coach for a a period of time and and I I remember being a young teacher and she was explaining to me how part of her role as coach was to drive the bus to Miami and drive the bus back and she's driving over the old seven-mile bridge and everything like that and a lot of people don't realize you know Know, how far we've come as teachers and coaches and everything and just shout out to those guys doing that and I mean you really talking about and I feel old but just like a long time ago can you imagine coach driving the bus these days
1: no I, not not with as much uh, responsibility we're given in other situations mm-hmm. um, that that that's a pressure that all those coaches took on that I don't envy but I definitely appreciate it.
0: Thank you everyone for listening to the keys weekly sports wrap with coach McDonald, the only place to get your Florida keys prep sports news and history. You could find this podcast on the keys, every Thursday. Hey, tell somebody about this. You could also find me at Facebook at Florida keys and key West high school sports history. This podcast is also be replayed on WKWF AM 1600 FM and WKWF FM 103.3 every Saturday at 8 a.m. If you guys have any topics for the show, you could email me at sports at keysweekly.com or you could send me a message on Facebook. Thank you guys for listening and have happy holidays.